Hey guys, we are back for part two of the Murdoch family murders. What did you guys think about part one last week? We got crazy (laughs) feedback. Your guys' theories were super good surrounding this like small down south family Uh crime, revenge killing, burglary gone wrong, which is such a good theory because these people were friggin' loaded. But some of you guys think that it didn't even have anything to do with Steven and Mallory's death. That it was like an inside job. Maybe the dad did it. Yeah, you guys had some pretty good theories. One of my friends had commented and she's like, oh my God, girl, there is some Illuminati shit going down (laughs) with that family right now. So like we said, this is developing pretty much every day. So part two is as current as current can be. As of this week, the most updated information that we have. It is July 14th, by the way, Wednesday. (laughs) And you better bet your asses that we are going to continue to keep you posted on the updates as they come in. And if you guys have been watching the news, everything is very tight-lipped right now. The cops were super quick, though, to say when all this went down that there was no threat to the community. So... Okay, but two people were just found murdered on their I just property. Think they know. They and they're know. like, don't worry, there's no threat. Mm-hmm. Everyone, don't don't worry about locking your doors. Yeah. What? So they obviously know. And you know what? Stay tight-lipped. Protect the integrity of this investigation. But we still cannot help but think that the family's legal background has a huge play in all of it's this. It's kind of hard not to, right? Obviously. So last week, we gave you guys some background on the Murdoch family. We told you guys about the boating accident that left Mallory Beach dead. Steven's hit and run. We told you guys everything. So if you didn't tune in last week, you have to pause here. This episode will not make any sense to you. So back that ass up. And go listen to episode 51. You will need to know all these details to follow along with this one. So see you later. And for those of you that did tune in last week, thank you. (laughs) And here we go with part two. So we're now going to start with the night of Maggie and Paul's murder. And we're going to take you guys through, obviously, what we know so far since it changes daily. What happened in the timeline of events of the evening of June 7th? So on June 7th, Alex Murdaugh, the father... He had returned home later in the evening to their home off Mazelle Road in South Carolina. He had placed a call to 911. It was around 10 p.m. I saw 10.07, 10.10. We're just going to say 10 p.m. Stating that his wife, Maggie, and his son, Paul, were shot to death near a dog kennel area on their property. Maggie was 52 and Paul was 22, and they had been shot multiple times And the coroner stated it was between the hours of 9 and 9.30 p.m. And it was on this, I mean, the property is huge. It's 1,700 acres. So initially, when the case first broke, we were reading reports that Alex Murdaugh had returned home from, like, hunting that evening. Mm -hmm. And that's when he found his wife and son dead. But then his brothers, they went on to Good Morning America not too long ago. And they actually stated that Alex, in fact, had been tending to his sick father, He was returning home from taking care of him. He comes home, finds the grisly discovery. So Maggie Murdaugh had been described in her obituary and just different articles by people. She was very bubbly. She would literally give the shirt off of her back for anybody in need. She was just a wonderful woman. And as we've told you, Paul was in some trouble. You know, he had a couple brushes with the law pending that upcoming trial. As some would say, he was a troubled kid. Now, he was currently awaiting that trial for the boating accident that killed Mallory. So, 
I also read that maybe Paul was the intended target. And unfortunately, Maggie, she was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. The cops have definitely classified this as a double homicide. They're looking for, you know, the suspects. I mean, they were murdered in cold blood in their own property. Mm -hmm. Like, it's pretty fucking brutal. At the scene, the cops had found shell casings, but literally not much other evidence, or, you know, at least none that they're going to tell us about. But like we said, it doesn't seem that there's a shortage of people that would want Paul dead, but not Maggie. Mm -mm, I don't think so. No. And I'm going to go with the theory. Well, I don't think that there are a shitload of people that want Paul dead, but it seems like he got himself into the mix of, like, you know, some There was a motive for him. Stuff. To where if something happened to him, it may not be a surprise. Right. So, and I'm going to go with that theory. I think Maggie was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And sadly, you know, it cost her life. It was collateral, I guess. We do know that there were multiple guns used. There was a different weapon for each Maggie and Paul. So that is some information that they've told us. Now, the day after the brutal murder, the Murdoch family and local police did not say much other than to inform the community that there was no manhunt underway. And like we said, there were zero threats to the community. That is just, that's crazy. pisses me off. I know. Don't worry. No one's in harm's way. Well, then who was it? What do you mean I'm not in harm's way? We don't know. Okay, well, then that shit doesn't add up. Like, come on. You're fine, Raina. Don't worry. Your neighbors were just (laughs) murdered. Just go to work. Fine. So as if this family has not taken its share of hits, sadly, the same week that Paul and Maggie were found murdered, the head dynasty, Randolph Murdoch III, Alex's father and obviously Paul's grandfather, passed away from natural causes like three days later, which can confirm Alex's alibi that he was tending to his sick father the night that his family was murdered. But regardless of what Alex says and him trying to get the focus off of him, the rumor mill is just like going crazy in this small town. So much so that two of Paul's uncles, the ones that went on Good Morning America, did so so they can like tell their version of the story. The truth or not, we don't know. But they just needed to say something because everybody but the family was talking at that point. We actually watched the interview and you can see like those uncles, they're clearly shaken up. They do I mean, not look comfortable. They are very upset during the interview. One of the uncles, Randy Murdoch, this is what got me in their interview he stated that too much attention was being paid on the family's actual connections rather than the loss that they had just suffered which i get but at the same time it's a little hard not to not think that the connections have something that that they do it he also said that you see words like dynasty power and he himself said he wasn't sure like how these people were using those words well i mean The focus is on you. You guys are millionaires. You're a prominent family. Your law firm has been around for over a hundred years. Of course, people are going to look at you. Yeah, you guys. With the trouble, I think because of the trouble that Paul got in. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's not just like they're this, you know, family with that kind of stays like low key. Like they're out there. They're public. People know them. They're prominent. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, we're regular people. We're hurting just like everyone else. Anybody else who would hurt if they were in this situation. And then, now this is juicy because there's not very many, like, juicy details in this case. We got one for you. (laughs) They said that Paul had been receiving death threats just prior to his murder. Mm. So apparently, Paul told people about these threats and no one took him seriously 
which I'm sure they're 100% regretting at this point. Yeah. Paul's uncle Randy said that he didn't think that the threats were credible at the time. And if they were, he would have absolutely done something. He would have notified authorities or someone. He would have done anything to save his nephew's life. So while the other uncle, Randy, went on to say that he didn't know anyone that would want to harm the family, his brother, the other uncle, Marvin, he had gone on to state that the night of the murders, Alex Murdoch called him. And as soon as he picked up the phone, he just knew that something Mm. was wrong. He said Alex said, come fast. He could get out that Maggie and Paul had been hurt. Obviously, he's frantic. And then during the same interview, the uncle goes on to talk about that legal case that was pending against the family and Paul. He's probably just trying to think of like anything Anything. that could link. Yeah, I would, right? I'd be trying to put all the pieces together. He denied all allegations that the Murdoch family had used any other legal power or connections to assist in Paul's criminal case. But as we told you in part one, it seems as though Paul did get somewhat of an easy break pending this trial. Remember, he didn't serve any time. He was never arrested. His bond was pretty low. He didn't have to wear an ankle or an alcohol monitor. Ooh. I mean, I'm just saying. And he wasn't even breathalyzed the night of the boating accident or interviewed once his family had shown up. Once again, we were not there. I'm not law enforcement, you know, investigating this. It just does seem odd. Like he had a little bit of special treatment. A little bit of help. So some new information was released in regard to Maggie and Paul's murder. They are stating that Maggie's cell phone had been recovered the day after the bodies were discovered, but it wasn't on the property. It was from a road adjacent to the property. Family members were able to ping it using a cell phone app, Hala technology (laughs) (laughs) and note that the phone was directly handed over to police like they didn't mess with it nothing but it's questionable that her phone was found so far away from her but paul's was left like right near his body so i don't know um no information was released as to whether any prints or dna had been found on maggie's phone it did rain that night so anything of value could have very well been washed away by the storm, which really sucks. So again, that's just another cherry to add on top of this mysterious case. But why mm. take Maggie's phone and not Paul's phone? I have no idea. But there were obviously two weapons used. We're going to assume like two different people were there. Maybe, you know, one person did what they were supposed to do. Grab the phone, let's go. The other person just took off running. Yeah, and we watched a lot of CSI, so obviously someone pitched it on the road when they were leaving. Someone's like, get rid of this. Mm -hmm. Maybe Paul's screen was cracked and they didn't want his phone. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) A black Chevy Suburban was parked on the Murdoch property near those dog kennels that are super close to where the bodies were found. That SUV was towed the morning after the murder. I don't know why this excites me, but it does because I'm like, are we closer to finding out? Like, why did we tow the car? (laughs) So the company that was dispatched to tow the SUV was told that they needed to wear rubber gloves at all times during this call and nothing was to be touched on the vehicle, especially on the inside. Like obviously something on the outside doesn't have to be touched because they have to like rig it up, but nothing on the inside was to be touched. We don't know whose vehicle this belonged to, what ties it has to the murders, but come on. Uh, it just, just adds another, to our I questions. Know. We just want to know. But I was like, did Paul and Maggie like just get home and like they were riding with somebody and they need to like go in and like 
swab and like dust for prints. Like was one of the car doors open when they got there and I they're don't like, know. okay, like, we're whose just DNA home. is inside? Where is the car I now? I need to know. I know, huh? It's <laughs> literally all we'll the information. We'll find it. We'll do it. <laughs> we're on our way. Book our ticket. <laughs> so there were four remaining survivors from that deadly boat crash that Mallory died in. Now Paul's dead. So these remaining survivors all came forward with their family members. They came forward willingly. And they all provided DNA samples to voluntarily rule themselves out as suspects in Paul and Maggie's murder. They also talked to investigators willingly. And they were all ruled out and their families. Another person that was ruled out as a suspect was Alex Murdaugh himself. He had a very airtight alibi the night of his wife and son's murders. Yeah. So he's not a suspect. Yeah, he was gone. He didn't get back till 9.30. Yeah. Paul came in at 10. Oh, my God. Can you imagine being 30 minutes behind them? No. That gave me chills, too. And I read Ugh. the time that he called and the time the coroner placed the murders at. He just missed them. He literally just missed him, but I can get pretty far in 30 minutes. That's true. That's true. (laughs) He may have been like 29.5 minutes too late. Right. But Alex has been pretty diligent. He's cooperating with law enforcement. Maggie and her son Paul were laid to rest on June 11th in Hampton County, South Carolina. Hundreds Mm -hmm. of people turned out for their service. The service was at the Hampton County Cemetery. And then Randolph Murdoch III, he was then buried two days later. How sad. Just a tragedy. I mean, oh my just a tragedy all the way around. So everybody in this town is talking, giving their two cents as to who they think were involved in Maggie and Paul's death. And like we told you guys, the connections to this family and the other cases are just totally all being thrust back into the spotlight. So on July 7th, which was last week, in regard to the boat crash that killed Mallory, an attorney for Connor Cook, one of the surviving boat crash friends, filed a petition in the Richland County Court. The petition is between Connor and the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. They're seeking permission to let Cook and his attorney view all of the cell phone data from first responders who were at the scene that night. Connor believes that these officers may have been conspiring to pin the boning accident on him. But why are you doing this now? I can't help but like wonder the timing. All I can think about is he might have a fear that with like Paul being gone, he can become the target of the investigation. So to get to the point here, Connor and his attorneys believe that the depositions and the phone records are necessary to completely clear Connor's name. Right, which it was when we were reading the deposition and reading up on the case, it was interesting because Connor's story of that night and all the other people that were on the boat that night, their story never changed. Nobody ever said that Connor was driving the boat and no one's story like overlapped one another. But it did say that Connor felt like they were kind of maybe misleading, like the cops were maybe, I'm not saying they were asking him to say something incriminating against himself, but he feels like they were misleading information to possibly say that Connor was driving the boat when he wasn't. So he wants to see everything that they have. Some of the evidence that was gathered at the crash is known to be missing Mm. or unaccounted for, Mm. which could be another reason that Connor wants to obtain those records to prove that regardless of what police officers were saying and, you know, how he interpreted it, he was not driving and there was no question as to if he was driving. He wasn't. It was Paul. So Connor probably just wants to clear his name. He hasn't been named a suspect, but at least he could rest at night knowing that he won't get a knock at the door because that investigation is still open and obviously... Paul's gone, you know, so yeah, I get it. Yeah. I wanna I, I hope he I hope he gets that motion. I do too. 
Especially going up against the Murdoch family. Yes. I can only imagine. Are they representing themselves? I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out for you guys. So that petition is online. You guys can go ahead and read it. It's super freaking long, but it lays out everything that Connor is wanting and it's available for you. So now that it's been over a month since the murders of Maggie and Paul, let me tell you, I feel like I have definitely more questions than answers. What about you, Raina? Uh, yeah, like millions. <laughs> it's never ending. I feel like I refresh my Google page every morning, <laughs> just praying for something new. The police aren't releasing much information. Obviously, it's ongoing. We have zero suspects, but don't worry. Everyone's safe. Alex and his remaining son, Buster, have offered up a $100,000 reward, and this is for any information leading to an arrest and a conviction of a person or persons that murdered his wife and son. Alex went on to say, I want to thank everyone for the incredible love and support that we have received over the last few weeks. Now is the time to bring justice for Maggie and Paul. Buster and I, along with Maggie's family, ask that anyone with helpful information to immediately call the SLED tip line or Crime Stoppers. Here's what I think is a little strange. I know, sometimes I go down these rabbit holes when I'm looking into these stories, but when I was reading this, it stated on the page that the reward is only eligible for the person or persons that submit a tip to SLED or Crime Stoppers on or before September 31st what? of this year. What? Doesn't that seem weird? So the tip, so the reward just goes away after the 31st. Like, can it, you guys see my face right now? Does, isn't that fucking weird? Yes. Why are they putting a cap on when They're it can be a submitted? So on or before. So your loved one is murdered, done. but you, you know, after September 31st, what, you don't? Like you don't care you after don't the care? 31st or you're not going to pony up an award? I'll keep the award. If someone that I love died, I'm going to keep the award open until I actually get some information. That is so weird. I did. I'm telling you, Raina, it really seems odd to me. <laughs> That's weird. I don't know what's going on with this case anymore. Me either. And I can't help but think, like, how did Maggie end up dead? I mean, I don't think that what Paul did in that crash was warrants him being, like, offed. But with all the survivors and their families being cleared, who outside of that circle would want him dead? Would want him dead. And I'm going to go with the theory that I do believe that Maggie was not the intended target. Yeah, I think it was Paul and she was there, wrong place, wrong time. And obviously there's a lot that the cops aren't releasing. I cannot wait until they do because it's necessary for these episodes. Uh. And now with them like reopening Steven's hit and run case based off of what they found at the murders it's like what did they find adding all this fuel who is gonna driving us nuts (laughs) who is gonna be held accountable for mallory's death if anything so i don't know obviously like we just have to wait we can't just sit here and keep assuming things and trying to figure it out with the little information we have rana and i are getting on the next plane and we're gonna fly to south carolina and we're gonna solve this ourselves at this point we'll record (laughs) episode three on our southwest flight back it's really sad for the beach family because paul will never see his day in court and be held accountable for mallory's death you know based on what we know now but at the same time who knows if he would have ever been held accountable so it's just it's super super sad for her family it's a tragedy all the way around and it affects a bunch of families involved in this case The Beach family released a statement after Maggie and Paul's murder. 
They said that the Beach family extends its deepest and warmest sympathies to the Murdoch family during this terrible time. Having suffered a devastating loss of their own daughter, the family prays that the Murdaughs can find some level of peace. Honestly, I hope sooner rather than later, whoever killed Maggie and Paul is found and justice is served. Obviously, yeah. in this case <laughs> and all the other cases tied mm-hmm. into this and everything else that's going on in South Carolina. I hope that Stephen gets his justice and the truth about what happened to him on that highway comes to light. I read that the civil trial involving the Beach family and the Murdaws has been confirmed. It will go forward. And I want to see some answers there. I mean, it's been over a month and literally nothing is coming out. But we'll keep you guys posted. And let us know what you think. Drop us a DM, comment something. Tell us who you think is involved in the devil murder after the more information we provided today. And uh, we'll take a look at it. As always, you guys, thank you for tuning in today for part two of the Murdoch Family Murders. Next week, we are celebrating our one-year anniversary. We are so excited. As much work as it is, I just can't believe it's, like, been a year. It doesn't feel like it. It's so exciting. I know. So we have some pretty cool stuff we're dropping for you guys. So make sure you're following us on social media at Those Murder Girls Podcast. And be a part of our badass giveaways. Yeah, go follow right Right now. now. (laughs) If you enjoyed part two, please head over to wherever you are listening now and rate and review us. You know, help us move up those charts after this year of badass cases we've brought to you. Yes. As always, we hope you have a safe weekend. And we'll be back here next Friday for your one-year Murder Girl anniversary. Bye, Bye, guys. guys.